This BazCast has been powered by Honey. Tune into the episode and find out how you could start saving money on some of your favorite websites today. Hello and welcome to the Baz Reviews BazCast. I'm your host, Baz, and I'm the creator of the music blog, Baz Reviews, the best place to discover cool music. We have episode number nine of the BazCast here today, and it's going to be a recap of the albums that I've listened to over the last three months. That includes July, August, and September of 2019, and I have listened to a lot of amazing stuff, and I'm super excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome aboard. Baz Reviews BazCast is back and better than ever. Hello, everybody. Hope you are doing well. It is Baz, a.k.a. William Bazone, the Bazoner, the Baz Machine, whatever you guys want to call me. I am just going by so many different nicknames at this point. Today is episode number nine of the Baz Reviews BazCast. If you are new here, we are so happy that you are here with us supporting one of the best places to discover cool music. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support of my podcast and my blog as a whole. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any streaming service that you prefer, thanks to the people over at Anchor. They are one of the best free services to start making your own podcast. And if at any time in this podcast, if you are new and you haven't subscribed, we would love you to do that. And if you're a returning listener and haven't left a review, I would love to see some awesome feedback. I kind of love going through the reviews and reading what people think of me. It's funny because one of them I was reading, it was from like July or something. And um, like it was like, oh, this is the best podcast I've ever listened to. You have a really great voice. And then it was followed up by something like, oh, your mic quality is really bad and you have a really annoying voice. So, you know, I guess to who's his own, you know what I'm saying? All that aside, though, thank you so much again. And we will dive right into the month of July to start things off. For those of you who don't typically know how I've rated albums or if you're new here, I have a thing called the Baz Scale, and I rate albums typically from 0 to 10. Anything from 3 down to 0 is usually negative, it just kind of gets more negative as it goes down the scale. 4, 5, and 6 is kind of meh, it was okay, not great, kind of forgettable, but 7, 8, 9, and 10 increasing, it kind of shows my overall liking of the album and how much I would be willing to re-listen to it in the future. So 7's, it's a great record, it's it's average, could be a little bit better, 8 is, yeah, I would give it a re-listen, 9 is just superb, amazing record, and 10 out of 10, come on, I mean, that obviously means perfect. I hope that kind of helps you understand my kind of ranking system and justification for why these albums were great or were not great for when you're listening to this next podcast, so let's get into the reviews right now. I'd like to start off with a recap of the month of July. Um, if you are wondering why it is not complete, I did a review of Blarf's record Seize and Desist back on episode number six, which is called The Surprise Interview Guest. So if you want to hear a review on that, I would recommend going to check out episode number six. And if you're also in for a cool interview, that's where you can go look for it. Let's start off with a more casual record here. It's called Nothing Happens by the band called Wallows. I have seen a lot of potential in the singles that I've heard from these guys, so I decided to give their debut a full listen. After my first listen through, though, I did see a few problems with this record. You know, I I think the group tried to experiment with a lot of different styles on here, and I saw that as risky. Sure, they do have a lot of time to grow and work on their style a little bit, but I think they would have been 
you know, better off trying to hit their stride with this outing. For the majority of Nothing Happens, it's kind of your traditional bedroom pop or, you know, indie garage rock record. And it follows that kind of DIY trend that has become popular in recent years. Don't get me wrong, I believe that there are a fair share of solid tracks on here, but I felt as if there were a few, like, I don't know how to say it, I guess arbitrary tracks that I was kind of forced to sit through until I was waiting for another one of those garage rock type tracks. To me, when Wallow sticks to that garage rocky sound that made them popular, it works. In fact, some of my favorite songs on the album were Scrawny, Remember One, and I'm Full. I like them not only because they're done in that style, but they have some really sharp songwriting. Plus, when they're at their best, there are some amazing riffs on here by the guitarist Brayden LeMasters and drummer Cole Preston. While I do feel that Dylan Bennett's trio is heading in the right direction, I feel that they should not divert away from their OG sound on their next record. If they do that, I think good things will be happening for them. I'm feeling a 7 out of 10 on this record. Next up, we have Cause I Love You by Lizzo, the new superstar in pop music. Even though Cause I Love You was released earlier this year, I knew it was time to review it. After the rise of her viral single, Juice, Listening to this record in full really shows that Lizzo has a lot of versatility and power as an artist. I really liked a lot of the cuts on here, and she proved that she is able to work in many different genres and be successful. Whether it was trying her hand at synth-pop, rap, or R&B, she's mastered it all. Not only is she a talented singer, but her songwriting is incredibly strong as well. She puts in some badass, female-powered lyrics in her songs, and I see that as a very good choice on her end. I realize that Lizzo reminds me a lot of another female singer that I enjoy, Kaliuchis. It may be kind of an unusual comparison, but... I think both excel because they're very versatile, and like I said, they're both really solid songwriters. Almost every song on here was great, though, and there weren't many that I didn't like. As I previously mentioned, the powerhouse Juice is a great song in its own right, but I came to enjoy other gems like Truth Hurts, Tempo, and Soulmate. I came into this album thinking it like might be a dud because it's more of a pop record, but the tides quickly turned as I got deeper into the record. All in all, this album has been one of the biggest sleepers of 2019, and despite being led by a few powerful singles, I think it's one that all music fans should be listening to in its entirety this year. I think Lizzo made a strong showing with this record, and she will quickly become a stronger voice in the female music-making community. I gave this record a 9 out of 10. The next record that I listened to, and it was slightly more on the disappointing side, was Anima, Tom York's new record. It was released in late June, and it caught my eye immediately. And while I might not be the biggest Radiohead fan out there, I figured I would check out the newest project of the band's lead singer. After a full listen, though, it kind of left me feeling pretty underwhelmed. Going into this, I was kind of expecting Tom York to kind of put out something similar to, like, his Radiohead stuff, but I was kind of taken into a 47-minute journey into more of an intricate and experimental group of tunes. That's all well and good, don't get me wrong, but the biggest problem I had with Anima was its lack of consistency. You know, I would hear a decent track here and there, but then the quality would significantly drop off for no reason. For example, the exceptionally beautiful Dawn Chorus was followed up by one of the more dull tracks like I Am A Very Rude Person and The Axe. With this album only being nine songs long, I would think that a veteran artist like Tom York would want to put his best possible work on display. As a result, the fragments of success on here are overshadowed by a bunch of random cuts that are not up to par with what he is known for releasing. I'm feeling a 6.5 out of 10 on this record. To wrap up the month of July, I listened to the two-parter only built for Cuban links by the Wu-Tang artist Raekwon. 
I figure that it would be time once again to pay a visit back to the solo careers of all the Wu-Tang Clan rappers. In July, I was turning it back to Raekwon's debut and its successor 14 years later, and all in all, this record was pretty solid, and it still holds up pretty well by today's standards. Although it does come in a little long at 73 minutes, Raekwon definitely demonstrates how to do a long album right. Among Wu-Tang members, his sampling, lyricism, and vocal flows put him up there in the same league as Jizza, aka S-Tier. While he's still an awesome rapper, getting fellow Wu-Tang members like Ghostface Killa, RZA, and Method Man to add some guest verses on here made the tracks even stronger. While I do think the middle part of this record has a few duds, I think that songs like Incarcerated Scarfaces, Wisdom Body, and Ice Cream were some of the sharpest solo tracks I've heard from any Wu-Tang solo album so far. I was feeling an 8 out of 10 on this record. For part 2 though, it's almost as if a movie sequel that's better than the original. The 14 year turnaround seems to have not phased the man himself, Corey Woods. In fact, he outdoes himself in every area that he showed he was dominant in on the first record. His flows are still great and so are his lyrics. Cuts like House of the Flying Daggers, Black Mozart, and We Will Rob You bring this point home for sure. I would say that you should check out all six of the tracks that I've mentioned so far, and you will be surprised to see that this album came out so much later. However, the biggest issue again for me with these two releases has to be quality over quantity. I think Raekwon likes to throw in a lot of tracks that don't really add too much value to the album. It's 24 tracks long and it comes in at 77 minutes. It's a lot to bite into, especially if you want to listen to both albums back to back like I did. I do think that the first part of this record was a little slow, and it wasn't until about 4 or 5 tracks that I was fully immersed with the overall record. Nevertheless, the sequel makes a bigger name for itself than the original did. I gave this album a slightly better score at 8.5 out of 10. With July out of the way, I'd like to turn it over to the reviews I've done in August, right after this. Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned in the pre-roll, this Bazcast has been powered by Honey. Whenever I see deals online, I always take them, because come on, who doesn't like to save a little money now and then? Unfortunately, companies aren't always willing to give their consumers a discount. That's when I discovered Honey. It's a browser extension that automatically finds coupon codes that have been confirmed as working and applies them to your cart right at checkout on over 37,000 shopping sites. You want to know the best part? It's free. That's right, free coupon codes to some of my favorite websites like Amazon, Nordstrom, Urban Outfitters, ASOS, Wayfair, and countless others. What makes Honey stand out the most is their best price finder tool that makes sure that you always get the lowest price on Amazon. Not to mention, they also have a feature called Droplist that notifies you when the price of an item you want drops. As Benjamin Franklin once said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Start saving money today by clicking the link in the show notes and join over 10 million users that have added Honey to their browser. August was another amazing month of listening, but I'm going to kind of start it off with a more negative review that I gave an album, and that was to The Big Day by Chance the Rapper, the much-awaited debut full-length by the Chicago Rap Mainstay. It dropped in late July, and I was pretty excited to check it out. I was sorely mistaken after a full listen-through. I don't know what the hell went wrong here, but there's a lot. Whether it was Chance being off his usually dominant rap game, the quirky instrumentals that didn't fit with his style, or even his diverse selection of feature artists. All in all, every aspect of this record was butchered. As sad as it sounds, I like some of the features on here more than what Chance himself contributed. Artists like Nicki Minaj, John Legend, Made in Tokyo, and DaBaby have some pretty sweet stuff on here and actually make this project somewhat salvageable. Chance experimented with so many different ideas on this record, it's more of a 77-minute barrage of ideas than a coherent studio record. I know full well that music critic Anthony Fantano tore this record to pieces in his review, 
but I wouldn't say that it's deserving of a 0 out of 10. Even Pitchfork gave it an average score of slightly below a 7. Yes, I'll say this wasn't as high quality as his past tapes like Acid Rapper Coloring Book, but I at least saw a decent musical moment here and there. Songs like Eternal or Slide Around were actually not half bad tracks. Chance's music making ability on here is not as sharp as it seems, and it's almost as if he's become detached from the entire process altogether. It's safe to say he didn't have a big day when this record released. I gave this record a 2.5 out of 10, the lowest of the year. On a more positive note though, I'm going to turn it over to Nothing Great About Britain by Slow Tie. It was released a few months ago, and I have heard some really awesome things about it so far. I was a big fan of the fellow UK rapper's Little Sims's record that released earlier this year called Grey Area, so I figured that I would check out this album as well. I thought a lot of stuff on here had promise, and I still think that the Brit rapper needs to find his stride a little bit. I think his writing and flow are super awesome. But the biggest make or break on here was the general production and beat making. Most of the beats on here are relatively grimy and lo-fi, but I think the ones with busier instrumentals and drum beats didn't really suit his style all that well. On the other hand, the gentler beats that were made with softer pianos didn't really bring out the best of his abilities either. On the production side of things, which is my biggest criticism, the overall mix is just really kind of crappy. Some beats on here were much louder than others and kind of overtook Slow Tie's overall rapping style. But some of the tracks kind of seemed very condensed and not super thoroughly created and edited. I have a theory though. I've concluded that Slow Tie sounds the best when there is a clear equilibrium of both instrumentation and backbeat. As I touched on earlier, these tracks shouldn't be too loud to the point where you can't hear them. I think songs that brought out the best of his abilities were Dead Leaves, Rainbow, and TN Biscuits. While I may seem that I'm getting a little nitpicky with some of the things on here, I felt that Nothing Great About Britain presented some very promising tracks that will advance the reviving UK rap game. I gave this album a 7.5 out of 10. The next album that I listened to was Morbid Stuff by Pup. I've been looking for some new punk records to check out lately, and I finally struck gold when I listened to the newest album from these Canadian rockers. I thought that these guys would kind of be a newer version of the BC rockers Japan droids, but I wouldn't say that that was necessarily the case with them. I really liked a lot of the technicalities on this record, and they offered a newer and fresher taste on punk. Whether it was the rebellious lyrics, fuzzy guitar riffs, and the hard-hitting vocals, Pup seemed to hit their stride with this record. While I still think some of the stuff on here can get a bit overbearing at times, I think songs like Morbid Stuff, Closure, or Sibling Rivalry are some of the better punk songs I've heard in recent memory. It may not be the best record I've heard all year, but it does a great job in paving the genre of punk for the future. 7.5 out of 10. This next record was one of the more surprising ones. It was Infest the Rat's Nest by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I guess I'd almost forgotten that King Gizzard was releasing a new record this year because I was kind of surprised to see this new LP pop up in my Spotify feed back in mid-August. After my disappointment with their earlier release from this year, Fishing for Fishies, I was hoping that this would be a step in the right direction. Despite being more of a metal record, Every minute is filled with energy. It feels like a throwback to their earlier records that have a strong sonic similarity to this one. Whether it's the noisy, frenetic guitar lines, the strong drum beats keeping every song moving, or the primal vocals of Stu McKenzie, Infest the Rat's Nest is a dramatic improvement over their last few releases. I loved so many of the songs on here, but I'd have to say my favorites were Planet V, Venusian One, if I'm saying that correctly, and Self-Immolate. They're some of the better Giz songs that have been released in a while, and maybe if I'm going to say it, the best in their entire catalog. Like I said earlier, this record is a great nostalgia trip back to their earlier stuff. I'm super into their more noisy records, and that's why I love so many of the cuts on here. While I thought hope was lost for these guys, the Aussies returned to their roots, and it worked out in the end. Don't get me wrong, every band has hiccups in their career, but King Gizzard has rebounded much better than others. I gave this record an 8.5 out of 10. 
The last album I listened to in August was Bandana, the newest collab between producer Madlib and rapper Freddie Gibbs. This duo released Pinata five years ago, and I was a huge fan of that record. I've had a few people tell me that this one has been one of their favorite releases in 2019, so I knew that I would have had to check it out and see what all the hype was about. Overall... I thought this record had a lot of very musical moments. I think Madlib is a super respected producer and one that I typically enjoy listening to, whether it's his solo stuff or his work with MF Doom on Mad Villain. His beats were super fresh and went well with Gibbs' style of rapping. Not gonna lie here, I definitely spent a lot more time than I should have on all the genius annotations. There were so many brilliant references that he sprinkled into a lot of the cuts on here. On the logistics side of things, I'd also like to bring up some of the great guest verses from guys like Pusha T and Killer Mike on Palmolive, not to mention Anderson Pack lending his vocals to Giannis. While those are both awesome tracks, I'd have to say that my personal favorites were Half Main, Half Cocaine, Flat Tummy T, and Situations. They all showed Gibbs at his best lyrically and Madlib at his best instrumentally. In sum, Bandana proved that these guys could work together in harmony yet again to produce another memorable rap record. I gave this record a 9 out of 10. Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? So as many of you know from past episodes of the BazCast, I am kind of a film nerd, and I try to typically not stray away from the subject material of music, but I feel like this is kind of an important film to kind of be discussed on the podcast. It is the new Joker film that has gotten so much hype. I watched the premiere of it on Thursday night, and I felt that I would share that with you guys and my thoughts about it, so if you do not want to hear, I will warn you ahead of time, there are spoilers, so if you have not seen the film yet and do not want to get spoilers, I would recommend fast-forwarding a few minutes ahead so you do not hear anything about the film. So, I, I, I came out of it kind of feeling like it was kind of overhyped, um, but it was still a really sharp film. If many of you have seen the trailer, it is a little bit misleading. I was kind of thinking it would be kind of a look at his actions as the Joker and not much of a character study, like the films that influenced it so much, like Taxi Driver or The King of Comedy, as many have compared it to. All that aside, it is undoubtedly the best DC film since the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, Joaquin Phoenix gives a stellar performance as Arthur Fleck, a failing comedian trying to make a name for himself. Throughout the movie, so many horrible things happen to him. Like, he gets jumped in the beginning scene, he's attacked multiple times, he loses his job, he finds out he's adopted, he's insulted by so many different people. I kind of look at Arthur's character kind of like Frank Grimes from The Simpsons. Like, everything bad happens to the guy. He's kind of got bad luck on his side. So if you've seen that episode, Homer's Enemy, and you know the difference between Frank and Homer Simpson, you would kind of understand the reference, but if not, I don't blame you. Uh, moving on, though, I will admit it was a little bit slow to get off the ground. Everything is kind of a build-up for a very strong final act. I would have liked to have seen some more kind of personal things that occur in Joker's life. You know, you've seen the dancing in the trailers, the intimate makeup scenes, and not things that happen in society that kind of make him angry or happen to him and kind of give him a negative light would have been a lot nicer and it would have deepened the character arc for sure. Um, that's what's interesting to kind of explore too with this film. Without Batman, Joker's motivations are pretty clear and they don't really have anyone or anything to foil those plans. There are downsides, absolutely, but I think once he is the Joker in the final act, like, it will have your mind blown. Like, you know, the, the live TV murder scene where he goes on and murders his hero, Murray Franklin. I thought the political commentary kind of leading up to it could have been done in a more dignified way, 
but it was still a great ending, and I think you should take it for what it is. Um, you know, like I said, the speech on TV, it's really the only way it could have happened. I think if he'd kind of become the figure that they were kind of wanting to relate to, that would have been like a badass ending. I don't really like the choice of going to the mental hospital and, you know, the blurry murder scene. Like, it was kind of implied. Not really a great way to end the film, but the technical aspects of this film are just outstanding. The supporting cast from Joaquin Phoenix is pretty good, and I was really, you know, kind of expecting Robert De Niro to be in this film after kind of seeing it, because it is, yes, very similar to his earlier films like Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. If you guys know the YouTuber named Chris Stuckman, he's a pretty interesting YouTuber. I really like watching a lot of his content. He made a really great point. This movie is not really shot like a superhero film whatsoever. It's more of a drama than anything. Like, the cinematography is absolutely beautiful, and the screenwriting is also really awesome, too. Todd Phillips kind of has the ethos to kind of do that because he has a more comedic background. He's been a director and writer on films like The Hangover, Old School, and War Dogs, and there are definitely some comedic moments in this film just where they need to be. It's not very over-the-top word and on the overall enjoyment of the film, but there were just some great moments in there that had me chuckling after such intense scenes. But going on to the kind of, you know, media backlash that this movie has faced, there's been so much crap about it glorifying violence and sympathizing with the villain, but once you see it, or all these people that have been hating on it have seen it, it really is confounding. It will kind of change your outlook on the movie and your outlook on life. After everything that happens to the poor guy, you honestly begin to feel bad for him. It's almost like what happens in our society where all of these shooters and terrorists do these horrible things. They get marginalized because they're different or have personal circumstances. There's not even that much violence in the film. I'm not saying that because I'm kind of desensitized in this point that I've seen everything terrible. There are, yes, some very gory moments in here. But it's not as violent as it sounded from all these morality rules all type folks. And that was another great point by Chris Stuckman. It's a lot less violent than its R-rated superhero contemporary like Deadpool. I think a lot of the people are more concerned with this film, and it's really trying to bring light to why these things kind of happen. It essentially argues that anyone could become the Joker, provided all of those horrible things happen to them. Um, I think it is definitely a movie that deserves to be seen by all, and I think one that will definitely change your opinions once you see it. I'll hopefully try and get to rewatch the film soon, but for now, I'm feeling a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. It's not movie of the year worthy like the trailer's saying, it's not 5 star worthy, but it's still a great film nonetheless. So. I hope you guys enjoyed that review. If you have not seen it yet, sorry that I gave away some spoilers, but once you've seen it, I would love for you guys to check out this review again. So let's move on to the next set of albums. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. I think in the first nine months of Baz Reviews, September might have been the best month of music, by far. I know I may have said that a few times, but I'm being totally serious here. I would definitely say that this has been one of the strongest. To start off the month of September, I listened to I, I by Bon Iver. This is the third record of the decade released by the Wisconsin folk genius Justin Vernon, and it has been outstanding to see his progression as a musician over these years. After shifting towards a more folk electronic hybrid on 22 a million back in 2016, he has made that his go-to style on this new record. It is a little more upbeat than its more techie predecessor, and the pulsating synths, deep bass lines, and Vernon's vocal melodies all prove that he can find new ways to stay fresh and grow even more as a musician. The songwriting, 
per usual, is beautiful. And the rich amount of effort that has been poured into each cut on this album is just nothing short of amazing. Whether it's the soft saxophone solo on Shadaya, or the deep house elements on I, Me, even the piano riffs on You, Vernon hooks his listeners in right from the beginning and takes them on one of the most diverse and intriguing soundscapes this year has had to offer. Along with these previously mentioned tracks, I'd like to bring up Hey Ma and Naeem. Those two show Vernon at his most vulnerable, an area where he thrives. While the latter half of this album could be considered a little stale, I want to end this on a high note. You just can't overlook the outstanding musicianship and creativity that Justin Vernon showcases with this outing, and it's definitely worth a listen for any person who isn't an indie head like me. I'd consider Bon Iver as more of a mainstream act, and I'm always happy to see Vernon blending both a pop-music-minded audience with even the most stingy of listeners. Once again, all I can do is applaud him for his work here. 8.5 out of 10. We'll turn it over to Young Thug's new album now, So Much Fun. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of modern rap, as a lot of you know, but Young Thug is one rapper that I'll make an exception for. The Atlanta rapper's newest album dropped in mid-August, and I was hyped to see a new project from him. I would definitely say the album's title is reflective of my overall enjoyment of this project. It has a pretty fair balance between those hype and chill tracks, and it was a nice break from some of the more intense listening endeavors I've made in recent months. Young Thug has called up some of the biggest names on the rap and production side, and it was on Honestly, more hot and cold, I would say. Some of the features on here aren't all that good, and I'm specifically calling out Gunna's on Hot, Lil Baby on Bad Bad Bad, and Juice World's addition to Mannequin Challenge. Despite having a dull stretch of tracks here and there, I will not lie by saying that there are definitely some standouts on this album. Lil Uzi Vert's verse on What's the Move is solid, and J. Cole and Travis Scott's addition to his hit single, The London, should also be noted. Additionally, Thugger's solo tracks are really nice as well, the best of the bunch being Just How It Is, Light It Up, and Pussy. All in all, the gamut of tracks that were on So Much Fun solidified it as another standout release from one of the more stomachable rappers in the game right now. I gave this album a 7.5 out of 10. I'm going to turn it over to a more quiet side now with Forever Turned Around by Whitney. The Chicago folk duo won my heart with their debut, Light Upon the Lake, three years ago, and I was really looking forward to this release. Forever Turned Around has everything Light Upon the Lake had, and more. This album is near perfect, and I really loved so many of the tracks on here. While the soundscapes on here are more folk-driven, I was feeling as if it's a trip down memory lane to the Americana genre of the 70s. Guitar and piano sections on this record remind me strongly of artists like James Taylor and Carole King, and I thought that was a really great touch. Additionally, this record expands on its trumpet riffs that made so many of the tracks on the debut memorable. In fact, the instrumental track Rhododendron is an ode to their outstanding horn line that makes this band so unique. On the lyrical side of things, their songwriting is still gut-wrenchingly sad, and so many of the songs on here will give you a mad case of the feels. In fact, some of my personal favorites, Giving Up, Before I Knew It, and The Tear-Shedding Closer, Forever Turned Around, are some of the most empowering songs that I've heard all year. But wait! There's more! What's so crazy about Whitney is that the mayor of Chicago honored them with their own special day, August 30th, which is also my birthday, and deservingly so. These guys are some of the most talented musicians that we have seen this decade, and I hope that they continue releasing amazing music down the road. Nine and a half out of ten. Another Chicago artist that I checked out last month was Jamila Wood's project, Legacy Legacy. While I didn't check out her debut, Heaven, I am now super interested in doing so after listening to her sophomore outing. It's just so amazing to sit and marvel the abundance of talent that is in the Chicago music scene across so many different genres. Whether it's hip-hop, indie rock, it's 
one of the hotbeds for some of the most forward-thinking musicians of this decade. For 49 minutes, Jamila hits the ground running and never lets up. You're treated to an album that's filled with beautiful piano melodies and a strong rhythm section that helps bring out the best of Jamila's vocal talents and lyrical talents too. You know, I really love how so many of these tracks are named for some of the black heroes of the 20th century and beyond. Part of that is because she has a degree in Africana studies, but it's still a great move nonetheless. Whether she was remembering Miles Davis, Zora Neale Hurston, James Baldwin, or Eartha Kitt, she sure as hell has a deep knowledge of black figures in our country. In terms of the album, it's more on the neo-soul side of things, and I would say, with fact, that that is one of my favorite subgenres out there right now. Woods' offering, I would even say, is one of the best we've gotten in recent years. My only two downsides with this album was the more house-techno-y type tracks like Octavia or the remix of Betty for Boogie, as they seemed out of place on more of a soul-driven record. I was also not the biggest fan of the features on tracks like Sun Ra or Sonia, and I definitely think that Jamila thrives best when she's working in the studio by herself. Nevertheless, songs like the lead-off Betty, Zora, and Frida might be in contention for the top 10 tracks of the year. All in all, this album has definitely cemented its legacy in the year of 2019. Eight and a half out of ten. The final album that I listened to over the last three months was Hiding Places by Billy Woods and Kenny Seagal, another one of these rap collabs. While this might be more of an off-the-beaten-path rap record, I've gotten a lot of people ask me to give it a review. I know Kenny Seagal somewhat well for his work with a past favorite of mine, Milo, but I had never heard anything by Billy Woods until now. I really love experimental rap heads like Milo, but I felt as if this record was not hitting the mark for me. Some of Seagal's beats on here are alright, but others can get kind of noisy and a little over the top on the wonky side. The biggest drawback for me, though, has to be Billy's flow and delivery. I felt as if he kind of drags along in a very banal way on some tracks, and it made a fair amount of this record kind of unenjoyable. A lot of his verses try to be more arcane and scholarly, spoken word if you will, but even then they're not that great. Despite all of these negative things, I've got to commend some of the rare good verses Woods has on this album. He shines on tracks like Spongebob, Houthi, and A Day and a Week and a Year. It wasn't just Woods who signed on these cuts, but it was one of those rare occasions where I felt like the producer and rapper were working together in perfect harmony. Other than that, there weren't really a lot of other songs that really left me inspired to give this album a good review. While I really like the idea of producer-rapper collabs, this one really lacks in comparison to ones like Freddie Gibbs and Madlib that I mentioned earlier on Bandana. I gave this album a, a meh score of 5.5 out of 10. Before we end the podcast here, I'd like to give you a quick look at the albums I'm going to be listening to in the upcoming month of October. It's going to be more of a rap-based month, definitely. I'm going to be checking out YBN Corday's debut, The Lost Boy, Rich Brian's album, The Sailor, All My Heroes Are Cornballs by JPEG Mafia, the new Sandy Alex G record, House of Sugar, and hopefully, provided it drops, Jesus is King by Kanye West. These are all some albums that I've missed and that have been backed by popular demand. So I hope that you guys are going to check those out and maybe you'll hear a great review from me. Maybe not, but all in all, I'm looking forward to this set of albums and I hope that they hold something great that I can enjoy for months and maybe even years to come. Definitely. That wraps up this episode of the Bazcast, and I thank you again for tuning in. So, did you agree with my reviews? Did you not? If not, I would love to hear your opinions about these records. I'm always down to see a different viewpoint. 
If you want to reach out to me, you can follow me on Instagram at Baz Reviews, or you can shoot me an email, which is located under the About tab on Baz Reviews. The website for that is wtbazone.wixsite.com slash Baz Reviews. I would be more than happy to hear anything you've got to say. If there's another album that you want me to review in the future, feel free to let me know about that as well. For now, I'll be signing off, and another great episode of the Baz Reviews Bazcast is coming your way soon. Thanks for listening.